He has almost as many Airbnb properties as his age. Bailey Kramer, 21, going on 22 years old, now up to 20 properties on Airbnb. We're going to show you how he's doing it right now on the Fearless Investor Podcast. I believe true wealth cannot be measured by your income. It is instead measured by your availability of choices, especially the choice to live life on your terms. I also believe there are many ways to create wealth, but one thing is for certain. You have to have a laser focus on one path. My path, Airbnb, but I also believe in education and expanding your mind. Education helps you take off the blinders of life and see opportunities you never saw before. Join me on this journey of learning how to create wealth in Airbnb, real estate, and so many more investment strategies. Together, we can conquer the world of investing. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. You're listening to me, Kyle Stanley, uh, and we are we're getting some traction here on the podcast. Keep sharing it. If you are loving what you're learning, if you are in short-term rentals or know someone that wants to start learning about short-term rentals, please share, review, and uh, just get this podcast and YouTube channel out there. The more that we have, the more we can get our message across, the more lives that we can impact, and that's what it's all about. But before we get into this story with Bailey Kramer, who, like I said, young gun, early 20s, already at 20 properties, I want to ask you, are you using Price Labs yet? If you've been following our show for a while, you know I love Price Labs. You know it's completely changed the dynamics of my business. More occupancy, higher rates, and less time spent on trying to figure out what do I price my properties at? I did this for a year and a half. I did short-term rentals for a year and a half with no dynamic pricing tool like Price Labs. And I am shooting myself in the foot from all the money that I left on the table for those that really year and a half that I was not using this because we don't know supply and demand. Formulas like dynamic pricing, no supply and demand. They can see when a market is 50% booked, 100% booked, 0% booked on specific dates, and they can adjust the pricing based on that supply and demand. So you need to be using a formula with Price Labs just like that. All you got to do is go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash Price Labs to get your free 30-day trial plus an onboarding training. And that is going to help you get off to the best start with your dynamic pricing. And once again, more occupancy, more rates or higher rates and less time invested. Now let's get to it with Bailey Kramer. This kid is killing it in the short-term rentals game. And he's got a little bit of real estate experience along with that. Can you imagine having the type of business that you, that this kid has at just such a young age? And one thing I really want to point out is I don't care how old you are. This just needs to be inspiration that anyone can do this if this kid is doing it at the age of 22. Guys, welcome in. Uh, this is going live on Airbnb Masterminds as we go live here today on June 22nd, 2022. Uh, Bailey Kramer, excited to have you on the show, man, coming in from Illinois. Dude is 22 years old, started Airbnb a year ago, already up to 20 properties. We're going to hear all about that story and how just uh, that I'm sure is going to be an inspiration for a lot of people here today. But as you guys are joining, please drop your questions for Bailey. And here's the thing, like, just because Bailey is 22 years old, you might be 30, you might be 40, you might be 50. The, the, the idea here is not that like, oh, you have to be young. In fact, I would say it's tougher to start when you're young because people, you're trying to convince grown grown-ass adults <laughs> to give you their house, right? Uh, so so to <laughs> me, this is like, if Bailey at 22 can get 20 Airbnbs in a year, 
how many can you get at whether you're 30, 40, 50 years old with experience, with credibility? Like I'm excited for that today. So Bailey, would you say, would you, would you uh, echo that excitement? Absolutely. I'm super excited to be here. Happy to uh, answer any questions in the audience and Kyle, super happy. We got, got, have a chance to connect. Awesome. All right. Well, cool, man. So I love starting off with the same question all the time because man, there's some crazy stories out there in Airbnb and I know you've been doing it for about a year. What is the craziest, wildest, uh, funniest, whatever that looks like kind of story for you when it comes to your short-term rentals? Yeah. I've had so many things just go wrong in, in, in my journey. Um, I would say like the, the worst one was day one. This is like, of course, something's going to happen the first day I launched my Airbnb. So first I was up till like two in the morning, getting the first one just ready, ready yeah. to go. Cause we did a lot of rehab on it. I didn't have a group like yours. Like I, I didn't know anything about Airbnb. And that day that the guests were supposed to check in at four, our like well system broke. Oh. And I had a partner on that deal. It was the one that I bought and, we were just scrambling like no one's business to get that thing fixed. And I'm not technical at all. I'm not like a handyman. He luckily is and was able to make sure that it was ready. I don't even know what he did, to be honest. But okay. when I got the call saying, dude, I need to hear right now, the water's not working. I was like, are you serious? And then we had a bunch of different smaller mishaps for that first reservation from like not having the right things in the property. But that was like the biggest like, holy moly, should I even do Airbnb? Like that was a, that was a big slap in the face and like a, a big test there. Well, it, you obviously passed that test because <laughs> here we are a year later and you're killing it, man. Um, already getting some questions from people. Uh, please keep posting your questions for Bailey. I know you're going to have a lot of them. Um, we're going to get into though your story before we even start talking about these, uh, these inquiries and questions from people. So like I talk about it all the time, I didn't hear the word passive income until I was 26 years old and was like, what do you mean you can make money in your sleep? And then it took me this, you know, like five year journey of really working on myself to actually get to the point of, of truly finding success. And here you are at 21 years old. Take me back before Bailey at 21. Like, were you already trying to start businesses as a teenager? Were you a business major? Like you told me that you were in college. Like what, what was Bailey like growing up? Yeah. So like the earliest memory that like I can, that translates to where I'm at now, like really two main things. Number one is a couple of things like Shark Tank. Like that was my show when I was like 12 years old. Nice. I would just like, I just love that. I was like, I want to be those sharks, just making, making the calls, making a lot of money and just like being in control. I love just building, like, I just, I love the idea of building businesses. Um, and I remember too, like back when I was again, like eight to 12 years old, my family, you know, we went out on our boat and we had like a normal boat. It wasn't anything crazy, 20 something feet, nothing, nothing wild, but we'd see these massive yachts out on the water. We were in Tampa. I lived in Tampa, Florida at the time. So we'd see these massive boats. And my dad was like, is that something that you'd want? And I would say, no, I need way bigger than that. I need way bigger. <laughs> so I, I don't know where it truly came from, but yeah. I always just had the envision of like, like just going huge. Even like, in, like I played baseball when I was, uh, you know, again, eight to 12, you know, teenage, early teenage years. And like, I just loved winning. I was always, I wasn't, I was, I was pretty good. I wasn't the best, but my attitude and my drive was, was always there. So that was that piece of it. And then 
another piece of it that kind of drove the entrepreneurial drive is my dad had a W2 job and he was able to be there like around for basically everything within my life, which was awesome. But there were a couple big things that, you know, he wasn't able to go to because he had his mm -hmm. nine to five. And then ultimately my family moved to Wisconsin uh, because we, we moved back and forth a couple of times just for his job. And that was all good. But when we moved this, the last time, my dad had his job in Florida. So he would commute back and forth every single weekend, literally for, he did it for, I want to say six to eight years of back and forth every single weekend. And it wasn't, there was no family issues. It wasn't anything like that. It was strictly the fact that he had a job that he could not leave. Mm -hmm. um, if he left it and tried to get a different job, he would just be making less money and it just, he, he couldn't do it. So mm -hmm. I realized that like, I need to be in full control of my time, my money and location. I just can't let that be in anyone else's hand. And that's how the whole drive started um, for the entrepreneurial drive. Yeah. Well, so what I'm hearing is you had a lot of uh, the, the natural competitive nature just in being in sports. You were all stars in your eyes for, you know, watching shows like Shark Tank, but also your dad, you know, having the golden handcuffs. Um, that was something that you just wanted to, to never have to deal with. So yes. that's, that's amazing to know at a young age. It took me a couple of years in and being in the working world to realize like, oh, wait, I don't like taking orders from people. So yeah, <laughs> for uh, sure. Okay, cool, man. So you you go into college. Where'd you go to college? I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Oh, sweet. Did, did you uh, graduate from there, or did you? End no, okay. I ended up ending early. It, it, I I always when I yeah I, I ended up I ended up leaving early, just like six months before graduation. Nice. Uh, by the way, Perry just commented saying, "Love your TikTok videos, Bailey. Keep them coming." Thank you. So there you go. I got to step on my TikTok game. Um, so, and, and guys, I, I am seeing your questions. Hold up. We're going to ask all these questions, keep them coming. Um, we're going to probably sprinkle some in here and then maybe a lot of them at the end, but you, you ended college early. Was it because that's when you started getting into real estate or take me through, you know, that, that decision to get into real estate and did it lead to you wanting to leave college early? Yeah. So basically I, you know, I was doing the whole, like looking up side hustles. That was like my mm -hmm. freshman year. Sophomore year was when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For those of you who haven't read that book, it's a must read. And when I read that book and I heard about the concept of real estate and the possibility, because I don't, I didn't know before I read that book and I started networking with people, I didn't know a single person in the real estate industry. Mm. Um, I didn't really understand even the concept of it. And I didn't know all the different avenues in it. But when I read that book and I heard just read it, you know, heard the possibilities with it. I was like, what am I doing in college? Like, I could just do this. But I obviously couldn't just drop out not having any money coming in. So yeah. finally, a year later, that's when I actually got started with the action. I spent a lot of time networking and, uh, and learning within that year. And then finally, just surrounding myself with people who were doing it, bought six properties in like a six-month period, my junior year. Um, and then, so money was coming in. Um, Two, two fix and flips, two long-term rentals, two Airbnbs. So I was getting some money coming in. It wasn't crazy. I mean, the, the long-term rent or the yeah, long-term rentals, a couple hundred bucks a month. The uh the flips, those were just one-time pops, you know, 10 to 15 grand. So it was awesome, but I couldn't live off of that. Then the two Airbnbs, they were really just getting started and we had no idea what we were doing. So yeah. we weren't even pulling money from that yet. Um, just a very, very little bit on the management side. 
Okay. Then when I had the co-hosting business, when that started kicking off, um, pretty much the end of the year, um, about probably, probably yeah, I guess eight months ago was when it started just like exploding. Referrals kept coming in, and I was literally in class, and I was like working on like we we had like the, the first property we have is is um, is is massive. It's a huge lake house. We rented out for two thousand dollars a day in the summer. So when I was working on that reservation, like people would message me and I'm like, what am I doing in this class? He's teaching me like how to like calculate all these nonsense things when I'm working on this huge reservation. It just didn't add up. So once I was making enough money from the co-hosting side, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. I just need to go all in because if I can focus all my energy on this, like yeah. sky's the limit. Yeah. Well, I was just about to ask you this question, but in a different way, but John just commented and I love the way he asked this question. Uh, where did you get the money to buy the six properties? Did your dad buy them for you? <laughs> no, so, so let's, let's hear how you bought them. Yeah. So and it, everyone comes in a different position. Like for me, my family had zero involvement in, in any real estate. They, they don't, besides their own personal house, they, they're not real estate investors. No one in my family is. Um, so the way, I mean, but they were huge emotional support, like no doubt about it. I got to give them a lot of credit for that. As far as the six properties I bought, creative financing was one of the big things. So we did seller financing. We did subject to, we bought properties cash for the cash. We just raised from investors. So pa pause really, pause really yeah. quick here. Let, yeah. let, let's break this down. So people understand this and we're, this is actually not where I was thinking we were going to go with it, but I really like this. It's another perspective for people to not just have to think about arbitrage or co-hosting, but right. buying properties when you don't really have the availability of cash right. creatively or using other people's money. So subject to the creative financing, explain that quickly. So people have an yeah. understanding of that. For sure. So I'll start with the cash thing. Cause I mean, when I, I didn't have any money at the time, it was like, and that was a huge limiting belief for me is like, how am I going to get started buying a property if I don't have money? For me, there's like a couple of big pillars. There's the money. There is the actual expertise of the deal. Mm -hmm. um, and like I told you, I, I spent a year networking just so I can have a network to feel comfortable to, to raise money. So I literally met people through Facebook groups. It wasn't, you know, not your Facebook group, but people just like your Facebook groups where I literally started networking with people and, um, and, and join mastermind groups as well. And just got around people who were doing it. So as far as raising capital, that was strictly networking. Um, the seller financing, the subject to basically, instead of getting a mortgage from the bank with seller financing, the mortgage actually comes from the seller. So if they own their house free and clear, the simplest way of explaining it, if they own their house free and clear, instead of saying, no, let me go to the bank and get a mortgage you work out the same terms, but with them. So you say, Hey, Mr. Seller, Mrs. Seller, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars down or 10% down, whatever you can negotiate. And I'll give you monthly payments instead of giving the bank monthly payments. Yeah. So that's like kind of the, the simple answer to that question. So break down those two deals then of creative financing um, or, or at least one of them. What, what was the underwriting of those deals? How much did you put down? How, how did you find them? How did you have that conversation with them? Um, you know, we could go really in depth, but you know, give me like yeah. a two to three minute version of this. Yeah, I, I can do, I can talk about the Airbnb one. That's cool yeah. with you. Yeah. Both my Airbnbs were, were creative financing. So the, the first one that I bought, first Airbnb that I bought was creative financing. So we approached the seller and he wanted to sell. He was having some health issues. So it wasn't like he wanted to sell. It was like, he kind of had to sell. And he was super stubborn on his price. 
he wouldn't budge at all. He wanted 779 and now he wouldn't go any lower. So we said to him, you know, we could do the 779, but if we did it on terms, because price is one piece of the puzzle, the interest rate, as people are seeing nowadays, is the other piece. That's what really levers what makes sense to the monthly payment. So we said, okay, well, we can do the 779, but it's going to have to be on terms. And the terms are going to be a 3% interest rate. And he, he, he was stuck on $100,000 down. So it was like 12 point something percent down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 3% interest rate, 12 point something percent down. And the payment spread out over 30 years with a balloon in 10 years. So those were the terms we negotiated with him. And he, for him in particular, he was a business guy. He understood terms. He's done seller finance, seller financing before. So we didn't really have to reinvent the wheel with him or really explain it. He just, he knew it and he was, he was cool with it. Okay, cool. So that so was kind of, yeah. Two questions. Um, did you raise the money for the $100,000 down? Yes. So okay. we raised hundred thousand dollars down and we raised eighty thousand dollars for the rehab of the of the house because it was pretty messy cool um second part of that the 10-year balloon that sounds a little intimidating uh so do you what's your plan are you going to refinance it to pay that off or what what are you going to do there yeah so we 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 knew we got this property at a good deal the reason why it was why it wasn't selling was strictly because it needed some serious, some, you know, some good rehab, brand new roof. That was $30,000 um, driveway. I mean, a huge drive. I mean, had a lot of things wrong with it, but we knew that if we fixed it up nice, like we, we were debating on fixing and flipping it first. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, at the time, we're like, I, I'm not taking a million dollar risk. Like I, I just, that was not, a, that was not what I was doing there. Um, Cause all the other houses I bought were like between 68,000 and like 150,000. So okay. this was like a, this is a big project. Yeah. And um, to answer the question, we we knew that we got a good deal. We knew that if we renovated it, it was a good deal. Right now, it's worth well over, probably probably close to 1.2, 1.3. Nice. So we know that if market crashes 20%, we're still going to be okay. And this property is making us a lot of money to the point where we're going to probably pay off that note. We might just pay it off faster or just refinance yeah. faster. We know that we're we're doing really well in the cash flow with that one, so we're not too concerned with that. Okay, cool. Uh, a twenty-one-year-old kid raising one hundred eighty thousand dollars. How? Strictly networking. Like, okay. like I that, heard you that, say networking, but I want yeah. I want to go deeper on that. That's, like, yeah, Bailey's going to meetup groups and shaking hands and giving business cards, or is he refer? You know, yeah, yeah, connecting through but, other people. What What are you doing there? So, a couple main things. The first thing that I do is I, I listen to podcasts religiously. So that was how I learned a lot. But then every single guest of the podcast, like they always say, where can they reach out to you? You know, they put their contact in. And I would just reach out to those people and just connect with them. So I say, hey, I heard you on so-and-so's podcast. Would love to connect, right? Um, or I loved what you said about X, Y, and Z. Made it super personal. I'd love to connect. I literally did that probably over a hundred times. I got a lot of people who didn't reply to me, but I got a lot of just networking from there. And I would say that's one thing that helped that I was young. I was 19 saying, Hey, I'm 19. I'm trying to get into real estate. Like, oh, that's awesome. So that for sure is, is no brainer for anybody, but especially it's actually a plus, I think for, for someone young. Um, the second thing I would do is on bigger pockets, I would message 
I started with like three people a day. Then I'd scale it up to like 10 people per day. And I would just network, 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 network. And literally those connections I made on bigger pockets, I could physically trace back each connection I made to where I'm at today. And I connected with literally hundreds of people on bigger pockets. Then I started my own meetup group. Um, this, and I don't have it anymore. This was like two years ago. Um, but I started that meetup group by strictly reaching out to the people that I reached out to on bigger pockets, who were a huge following there, had Rod Cleef on, had some big names on the meetup group. And it was just like strictly networking. I didn't know anything. I didn't have any properties at the time. I didn't have any money at the time. I was still 19, but it was strictly just like reach out to people, bigger pockets, uh, podcasts, and then Facebook groups as well. I met he, the guy I partnered with actually, I met him through a Facebook group and it was strictly just like reaching out to people. Someone said, Oh, I'm looking to do this. I reached out to see how I could help. So cool. That's awesome, man. Well, and I think that's the key there at the end there, reach out to see how you can help. Right. Yeah. Like if you just reach out to reach out, Hey, let me pick your brain. Uh, oh yeah. No, if you would have said stuff like that. You're probably not in the same position right now, but For sure. um, reaching out to help add value. That's, that's the, uh, the thing that I think is, is awesome. And so do you, do you contribute most of that to the ability to have people see past how old you are? Yeah. Um, I, I think people, like, when you're young, you, you especially think it, and I think the older you get, the less you actually like think to this to be true, but no one actually cares how old you are. They just care about like how you come off. So like, even now, it really makes like now that I'm, I'm 22 now, I just turned 22. I'm now realizing that it makes no difference if I'm 22 or 20 or 21. It's like, as long as you present yourself well, it literally makes no difference. Um, huge limiting belief for me though, too. When I got started, I was like 19. Like I just feel like I'm too young to do this. Totally natural to think that way. But just in reality, nobody cares how old you are. They just care about like, who you are, if you're willing to put in the work and how you bring yourself forward, that's literally it. Awesome. If you guys are just joining us with Bailey Kramer, uh, he is 22 years old, has 20 Airbnbs, two of which he, uh, two that you own, is that what you said? Yep. Yeah, yep. two that you own. Uh, the rest are co-hosting, has built up an amazing business in under a year. If you have questions, please comment on this so that we can get your question in there. Uh, I see there's a lot of questions. We're going to get to those in a few minutes here. Uh, so Bailey, let's, let's transition a little bit now to the short-term rental side. So you go, you get your first two, um, what happened from there? Yeah. So I got the first two and it really started with the first one because we had no idea what we were doing with it. We, we, you know, we had our underwriting, but it was very like, oh, our neighbor's doing this. Oh, and he's getting this much. Let's just say we're going to do a little bit worse than him. And let's just, I, you know, we, that was really the extent to what we did. We just looked on Airbnb and just kind of went for it, to be honest. And we were just so blown away with what we were actually, we just kept increasing our price slowly, 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 because we were like, oh, this is like a no brainer. People are booking this left and right. So I would just post about it on social media, Facebook, Instagram. I wasn't on TikTok at the time, I don't think, but uh, I just was posting about it. And people in my network said, oh, I have a friend who, actually needs a co-host. Are you interested in, in, in co-hosting their property? I was like, sure. And it took a couple months for that to actually happen because I didn't even have like the systems and the process like, like we do now. But once I had that, I was like, sure, it's not going to take any extra, not much extra to take on another client because I'll just plug, in, in, plug them into my system. 
So I did one of those and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty, pretty fairly easy. Um, especially that I had the systems up and running all that good stuff. So that just kept happening over and over again. And then I worked with an investor and then he bought another property. So I managed that property. So it was, it was a lot of like referrals, honestly, and just telling my network what I'm doing and how I can help. Yeah. It's, it really is that simple. You and I were talking about this right before we got on, you, you get a little bit of proof of concept yeah. and we don't even have to necessarily have proof of concept within your own properties. You could have proof of concept with just the, you know, someone that you're learning from, maybe a mentor, maybe it's even just a case study of like someone else is doing it in our, our market and here's how they're doing. So you got that proof of concept, you're shouting it to the world on social media and to people that you know, and because of that, you're attracting new clients. I mean, that, that really is the one, two, three, the steps that you can take to, to build up this business. Uh, so 20 properties in 12 months, essentially, that's incredible. Took me two years during COVID, of course, to get to, to 25-ish properties. And so I want to I wanna ask, what does the team look like today? How, how much are you involved? Where, and especially, are all of your properties in one area or are they in multiple markets? Just kind of give us an overview of what the business looks like. Yeah, so overview of the business, I have two in North Carolina. Uh, that I co-host, two I co-host in Indiana, one in Wisconsin, and then and then the rest in Illinois. Probably like twelve or so in Illinois. So that's like the kind of the main area. And then the team, the team was more of a, you know, the past month or two addition, because as you know, like you start off, you have zero properties, okay, you know, no stress, and you have one, and and like the work involved, and it goes up and up, and then, and then I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I I can't do everything in my business. I need to hire people. You reach so, critical mass. Yeah, literally. So, so I, I reached that a couple months ago, hired two people and they basically run my business for me. Um, there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve for them, especially mm -hmm. with Airbnbs and uh, my properties are a little bit unique and some owners that I work with, they have specifications. So everything's, you know, some a little bit customized, but I have two people essentially running the day-to-day -day handling just about everything. Only thing that I'm doing right now is pricing. Um, Cause that's like, Oh, I know the markets and that's a whole nother thing to teach besides the pricing they're running the show. Um, they only reach out to me for like emergencies and they're still a little bit in the learning stage with my properties. They probably have, you know, a couple of weeks left till they like fully, fully can do it all themselves. And, but even now, like, they have, I have confidence in them that if I went on vacation for a week without my phone, I would feel absolute confidence relief that they can handle it. Um, so we have everything pretty dialed in. They're just kind of buttoning up some, some loose ends, but yeah, two people that are, that are running the show for me. And I will say and reiterate what Bailey said, pricing was the last thing I had on my plate to give up to my team. It is <laughs> tough to give that up, but Man, uh, when you can systematize that and give that up, the freedom that you feel. Um, so the question I have, and I'm sure a few people uh, have, you just mentioned you're in about four or five markets. Um, how are you managing and overseeing quality at those properties? Is it all on your cleaners um, or are you needing to bring in, a, call it a runner or a quality control person to go double check what the cleaners are doing? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I was trying to, the reason why I'm in those four markets is because when I get, kept getting the referrals, 
especially in the beginning, I think this is great. It's like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I've now turned down opportunities because it's not great in like the long run to be in multiple markets, to be like, to, to have like two here, two there. Yeah. Definitely not ideal for sure. Um, great learning experience though, for sure. But I turned down plenty of opportunities in random places because I'm like, I can't do another market. Yeah. But to answer your question on quality control, we put a lot of trust in our, in our cleaners. We have people that uh, will do quality control on occasion, but our, our really main thing is building rock solid relationships with our, with our crew. We tried turnover b and I didn't love, I just, I just don't, I just don't love it. Um, yeah. I, it's, I might, it's a good short-term solution, but for loyalty and long-term, it doesn't seem to work out very well. Right. Like my, my crew loves me and cause, cause we just have such a good relationship and now mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's weird, like tra- passing that relationship on to now my team. And we're actually working through that now is like, listen, this person, if my cleaner actually called me and said, Bailey, you are like, I, yeah, I love, I love you. It's a little bit hard transitioning to people that don't have our relationship. So like my, when we, when we take on a cleaner, I explain to them, listen, there are some people that, and you might even have clients that have you take pictures of the property and this and that. And I tell them, and I don't know where I'm fully at with this. Cause I still might want to do pictures in the future, but I tell them, listen, I don't work like if I don't trust you from the start, then, then it's just, this isn't going to work out at all. So I don't even want to try this. So I'm, I have full trust in you mm-hmm. um, to, to get the, the job done properly. And I'll give you, I, you know, I, I give them a checklist to tell them, I set the expectations and I say like, I trust you. Um, if I ever have like a inclination where I don't trust you, we're not going to move over to a checklist or move over to a picture thing. We just can't work together. Yeah. So I have like ultimate trust in you and I'm going to pay you immediately. Like I I'm, I'm like, and now my team pays, but we don't wait a week or two weeks. We pay when they want to be paid, how they want to be paid. I mean, after, after they're done cleaning, yeah. but um, like, we just are so loyal to our people. They're even more loyal back. That's the way we've been running it. That's awesome. um, so, yeah. Well, you've, you've built amazing culture is what it sounds like. And I totally know where you're coming from on, you know, giving the reins off to someone else when it comes to culture because of what you built. But uh, if you've done a great job with building culture, I'm sure that um, it's going to pass down to everyone that you've, you've been working with. So you mentioned something there about had you done it differently, you probably wouldn't go to all these different markets. Talk about that for a second. Why is that? Yeah, it's just, it gets more complicated when like, if we need a handyman, for one of our Illinois properties, or if, if something's wrong at one of our Illinois properties, we have like our, our one to two to three people to call. If we're in like four different markets, we need that one, two, three people, people to call in every market. So that gets more complicated. Also, they're not working with us. Like if we have, like I said, Illinois, we have a bunch of properties. So we have somebody who's pretty active in our properties, like pretty near full-time like because he's kind of working with an invest like one of the investors so he's dang near full-time working on like maintenance stuff and and some rehab and for, for the other investor but we like the economies of scale you get with that is so awesome and he knows our properties well versus like my my one in wisconsin for example yep. or, or the two in indiana those people aren't touching our property as much and don't 
I mean, we still have a really good relationship with them, but we only call them once every two to three weeks, maybe. Like it's very scarce versus, and, and, and there's, they're still loyal to us and they'll still come and that's great, but it's so much easier when you can say, you know, you're doing this, this, and this stuff more frequently. It just, I think helps with the relationship and it helps to have all in one place. So you don't have 10 different people you have to communicate with. Exactly. I think you probably have heard it too. Everyone who has these big dreams when they first come into Airbnb, their first thing is I want to own or arbitrage in a bunch of different places. So I have a place to vacation for free. The, that That's a great, sexy way to think about it. But to your point, if I have one person, three people, five people to check in in all of those different markets. I've just created a full-time job in all these different locations for me. Why not just get them 20 in, in one place, make a crap ton of money and go vacation wherever you want because you're making so much money. That's, exactly. that's where I'm at. And then, and then scale to diversify a little bit. For sure. Um, so I want to go on to some questions here. And guys, if, you, if you're still Tune in here. Please make sure that you are commenting with your questions. We're going to go over to that um, Q&A now. A few people are asking about a nine to five. I don't think I heard you talk about ever having a nine to five. Did you? No, I never had a nine to five. Um, yeah. And that, that was actually my goal. So I, I, made a, I made a post on Instagram like probably two or three weeks ago. And what that post was, it was a video that I made my freshman year of college, my first day of college. And it was basically a promise to myself that I was willing to work my ass off in college. So I didn't have to get a nine to five job. How scary was it to think, okay, I'm leaving college. I'm maybe you already had enough cash flow coming in. I'm not quite sure, but was, was there a like creeping fear in the back of your mind of like, oh man, what if I leave college right now and now I got to go back or I have to declare bankruptcy or were any of those things creeping up? Honestly, no, mm. just because, I mean, I, I only had a couple thousand dollars coming in per month. I was definitely not, um, I was not, I was not regular. I probably had maybe five to 10 properties at the time. Like it wasn't like a ton coming in. I just knew that if I could use my time, I could for sure scale it. And I just knew that I, I've always known I was not getting a nine to five job. I was too afraid to tell people that um, before college and my freshman year. That's why I made the video for my eyes only. I didn't show it to anybody except I just released it a couple of weeks ago. And I, I, I was nervous because like not many people do that or really had the ambition for it. But I knew that it's something I wanted to do. And I was just so set on the fact that I was going to make whatever happen work that I, I didn't have, I really... I was more excited than fearful. I just knew that whatever happened, I was going to um, going to make it work. Whether it was Airbnb or if I had to switch to something else, I was going to make something work. And it's funny, I actually had someone ask me a couple weeks ago, so are you still not getting a nine to five job? I'm like, no, you don't, you don't get it. I don't, I don't want one. I built this business. I don't need one. So that, that no. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I love it. Tell me more about this video. What, what did you record for yourself? Yeah, it was really funny. I was an awkward, like 18 year old and I was just standing there. I was like, so my parents just left and uh, first day of college, it was super like awkward and, and nerve wracking, but I basically just told myself that I was going to just work extremely hard to, um, to build a business in college. And it's funny in the video, I said, I want to build a bit. I said something like, I want to build a business so that when I'm 40 years old, 
I could be chilling on a beach somewhere and not and not not behind a desk. So I, yeah, for people watching, check out that video. It's pretty funny, uh, and I kind of show the transition to where I'm at now. But um, and the dream is where, not where can we find that video? Yeah, it's on my Instagram. So the underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. Okay. Um, it's one of my most recent posts, probably within the last six or eight posts. Um, I have that in there, and yeah, it's just it's just a funny video, but. I really had, I had a vision of something. I didn't know what it was. It wasn't until Rich Dad Poor Dad that sparked it for me, but I knew I had something and I, I, I had to document it at the time. Nice. That's awesome. I can't wait to go take a look at that. The underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. We'll go check it out. Um, I'm tempted to even just share it right now and play it, but I'm going <laughs> to make people go to your Instagram instead. <laughs> um, all right, a few other questions here that I'm liking. Um, Michael asks, how many partners do you have involved? But if I'm hearing correctly, you didn't have partners. You just have capital that you raised, right? The business is just yours or? So co-hosting is completely me. Co-hosting is okay. completely me. For buying the properties, I had one main partner for the properties. And sorry if I misspoke because that was, that was a huge part in it. Um, that, that's the person I, met, I mentioned I met through a Facebook group. I met the partner through the Facebook group um, and then had a couple other investors for the deals. Okay. Awesome. And yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Um, John says, what if Airbnbs get banned in any of the areas that you're at? Do you have a backup plan? Yeah, I would say different markets, different backup plans mm -hmm. we're already doing some midterm rentals and in some of the markets that i'm in so that, that's that's one that we can easily go to we could really go to long-term rentals or midterm rentals for all of them that's kind of the immediate backup plan for the ones that i buy we we buy them knowing that we have plenty of breathing room mm -hmm. um even if the market turned or airbnb airbnb regulations we have enough of a buffer and we know that we're making enough right now that through, through the properties that we're already extremely comfortable with that. But yeah, it's just really for the coast and it's just pivoting your rental strategy. Um, and then you can also be more conscious of what markets you go into. Some markets um, like Hawaii, I know that they just like hate Airbnbs and short-term yeah. rentals. Like I wouldn't even try to do it one in Hawaii right now. Um, I also would be conscious of like condos and HOA associations. Yeah. I just wouldn't start there at all. Um, and you'll already be a, a couple steps ahead. Which is crazy to me because like literally the only people driving business in Hawaii are the tourists who are not coming for 90 days at a time, but suddenly now you can only book. A <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, Perry's got a question. I'm going to answer it first. And then if you want to add anything else, Perry said, can a neighbor sue you for having an Airbnb next door? First of all, we are not um, lawyers. Uh, we're not giving legal advice, but I would check with a uh, person of a uh, proper profession, legal, you know, real estate lawyer, um, person of, with the city, check the city regulations, make sure you're doing everything legit. If you need to get permitted, um, if you need to, you know, get the license, just make sure you're doing all that. Um, and you will be typically taken care of, uh, because as long as it's legal, why, how could someone sue you? So any, any additional thoughts on that? Nope. I agree. And I'm not a lawyer either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, great question from Desiree. What podcasts are you listening to? So right now I'm honestly listening to just one. It's the Ryan Pineda show. 
Nice. Um, but basically what I, what I did in my journey of podcast evolution was bigger pockets was the start. I just consumed information. Then when I got an inclination about what area, because real estate's so vast, what area I want to get into, fixing and flipping, wholesaling, um, multifamily, I then found podcasts that were specific to what I was doing. So I actually started out wanting to do multifamily real estate. Nice. So I listened to all the multifamily real estate um, podcasts. So same thing for Airbnb. And you guys already have a good inclination being here. If you know you want to do um, Airbnb, you're in the right place and just continue to consume the information um, yeah. for sure. I love it. Well, and there's, there's this point though, right? That we have to stop being so focused on consuming and we have to take action. And I think we fall in love way too much with the learning part, part and we feel like we've accomplished something, but really until you take pen to paper and actually strap the boots on, walk up, knock on doors, make phone calls, you're not really doing anything. So it, it, I, I, I honestly have seen a progression in my learning where it's gone from strictly listening to podcasts to going and taking action and now doing a lot more of masterminding, connecting with high level people. And then every once in a while, when I feel like I need to know something about a certain topic, yeah, then I'll go back over to YouTube or podcasts. Exactly. Uh, but there's that evolution of learning. Would you agree with that? Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, the Ryan Pineda show, it's, it's not even real estate related. It's more just like business high level, like just brings on cool guys. Also like the Graham Stephan show, um, I, Ice Coffee Hour, he brings on just cool guys. So it's really more for like entertainment and just like idea thinking right now less than in the beginning, it was more of like, what is this real estate thing? How do I learn it? But yeah, you, for sure, you get to a point where you can only learn so much from a podcast or from a YouTube video, you got to take action. That's where the real learning is going to take. And it's just a nice background from the, from the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this next question from Christine, I feel like it could go really far, but I want you to just try to keep this as simple as possible. Um, how did you find members of your team? What are either some resources or did you network just like you did to find uh, the money and hourly salary commission? Like how are they getting uh, paid? What's the structure look like? For sure. So super um, high level here. One, I use military moms. I hire military moms. I, I've done a lot of like virtual assistant overseas things in just different areas with editing, with all that stuff. But I was, I was a little nervous for myself to, to hand it over overseas for me. So just from, again, having a network of people who are in the business, someone said, hey, why don't you, why don't you use a military mom? Um, and is that an actual service or are you, how are you connected no, so, to military moms? So, yeah, so there's, there's Facebook groups. Um, I, I don't have any off the top of my head that I can share, but there are plenty of, if you just look up on Facebook groups, military moms, Facebook groups, like that's like, that's like a term, like a military mom. Um, and these people are, they're essentially the reason why they love this business so much is because a lot of the times they have kids, their husband, or maybe it could be husband, wife, opposites could be deployed and they want to make money for their family, but they also want to hang out with their kids. And if they go get a job, like the one that I have now, she, she had a job before and she had to pay for childcare for her kids. And when you, when you pay for that. And you, you, you know, you end up not making a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. So we, we pay a salary or yeah, basically salary, monthly salary to our people. And they're thrilled by it. Cause it's a lot more than, cause, cause they, they don't need childcare. They're not sitting in front of their computer all day, but when we need them, they're available and they're available for 
most hours of the day. Awesome. I love it. Um, two more questions, then we're going to wrap this thing up for, and this one's from Ashley. She says, uh, for properties that you don't own, what are some of the biggest issues you've experienced with owners, landlords? Yeah. So I was telling you before, like in the beginning, it's just, yes, yes, yes. I'll do anything. Right. And I didn't know what to vet in the beginning. One of the biggest things is that I tell, that I tell my owners now is this is how I work. If you don't work in this box, I'm just not interested in managing your property. I say that in a polite way, right. but basically the way I work with owners now is I send them a, a report at the end of the month. And as long as everything's looking good, I don't want to hear from them. That's like pretty much the spiel. Yeah. If something's broken on my end, you know, that we need a new roof, I'll let you know. Besides that, there isn't really much to talk about. And I don't want, I don't want comments on the pricing or any, I, I'm very transparent now. Yeah. In the beginning, my issue was I didn't know what expectations to set. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think on a back and forth, like you can't be ultra picky in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm glad I took on those opportunities because they each led me to where I'm at now. But I have owners who are so on the pricing that that's the only property, <laughs> I'm laughing, it's the only property we're not getting bookings at because I know the price is not set right. And it's just like, it, it's hard to work with people who want to be involved and we're answering messages. So that's- Yeah, yeah. I 100% I uh, agree with that. And I just want to sprinkle in a little bit uh, similar, but shifted perspective for Ashley here. It's, it's about what you said, Bailey, setting the expectation up front of here's what it's going to be like, but also sharing with them, hey, listen, you're hiring me because you're looking for a professional. So give the professional 90 days to show that I know what I'm doing. And then after that, if you're still not happy with some stuff, let's come back to the table and we can talk about it. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, as soon as you start having owners jump in and be like, well, you know, I think this is too high price or I think this is too low price. Uh, we had one owner recently. This is kind of funny. He said, I want to be booked. I want, I want you to list it on VRBO as well. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, we really only get like two or 3% of bookings on VRBO here in town. Plus they take 8% versus Airbnb taking 3%. So you're going to sacrifice some income. Um, I said, but if you really want it that bad, I'm happy to do it. And he said, yes, I really want it that bad. We're at 90% occupancy. I want to get to 100% occupancy. All right, well, 100% occupancy is not necessarily a good thing. Anyway, so it, we get booked for 21 days on VRBO and we had just listed it there. So what are we doing? We're offering our 20% discount on VRBO, which we had already gone through on Airbnb. And he was disappointed with the price. So we gave you what you wanted. We listed it on VRBO. What, what else would you like me to do? This is why you just need to give me full trust. And he's- right. He's kind of like, oh yeah, I probably, you know, and, <laughs> and, and if he's watching, I love the guy, he's been great to work with, but you know, it's just, that's an example of a, an owner who, you know, or, or anyone right in any business that they hire a professional, they think they need to get involved and actually just ends up hurting them. So what we've just kind of done is exactly that. Give us 90 days and then we can kind of talk about things. Sure. Um, Okay. Uh, last question. John has a great one and it's a case scenario that I would like to ask you if you had a $200,000 fully paid off property and you were just getting started uh, in real estate, Airbnb, let's go back to when you were first starting. If you had that available to you, what would you do with that property to help propel you getting started? Yeah. So what I, what I would say is, and I learned this more recent than not, you know, I didn't learn this right away is 
like, especially out of college, like cash flow was the most important thing for me. Doing the fix and flips sounded great, but that wasn't going to like put food on the table. Like it would once every couple months, but it wasn't going to be sustainable. So my thing that I'm focusing on now too is just how can I get more streams and just bigger streams of cash flow? So what I'd say is I think his name was John is if you need cash flow, um, figure out and it's, it's kind of a balance between your time and how much money you have, right? If you have $200,000 and let's just say you got a 20% return on that, that's not going to bring you back. It's going to be, it's going to be good money, but it's not going to retire you. Right. So what I would say is you need to find an act. I mean, everyone's all about the passive income and I love it. I love it, but you need to start on the active side if you want to get there faster. Active has so, to feed the passive. Yeah. So I would say, John, like if it's co-hosting, if it's like whatever you want to do, find that thing that you could be active in that can turn passive. Like for me, the, the co-hosting business, I wouldn't say it's fully passive by any means, but it's going to, it's going to get there eventually sooner than later. Find that stream that you can be active in. You can grow super fast and then get, um, and then, and then just, then it can be passive. So $200,000, I mean, it's a nice chunk of change, no doubt about it. Um, maybe you want to, maybe you want to buy an Airbnb and then co-host for other people, maybe whatever it is. I wouldn't, don't think that having a hundred to 300,000 is going to be like, that's not really what's going to make you successful. Like when I got started, I didn't have money. It sounds nice to have a lot of money to start, but don't lose vision of the fact that cash flow is the most important thing. And, you know, could you get a ton of cash flow from 200,000? Sure. You can get creative with it. You can do the burr strategy. You can go crazy with it. No doubt about it. But for me, and I, I think for you, John, I don't know your personal situation, but cash flow, just focus on cash flow. I love it. Bailey Kramer, thank you so much for helping our audience to conquer the world of Airbnb today. Go check out Bailey on Instagram um, at the underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. Uh, Facebook, TikTok, where can they find you on there too? Yeah, Facebook and TikTok. And if, you're, if your audience wants to just shoot me a message, hey, I saw you on Kyle's, Kyle's podcast, I can shoot them a free, free resource as well. Um, so just love to connect TikTok, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bailey. All right, show notes for this one, fearlesskyle.com forward slash Bailey Kramer. Bailey is B-A-I-L-E-Y, Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R. And I, I I loved, I honestly didn't see us like going into this with this show, uh, the, the creative financing, the raising of money. I, I really thought we were going to focus more on the short-term rental side, but it's so cool to see that someone who literally just was getting on podcasts, going to bigger pockets forums and value, value, value. Hey, how, I heard you on this podcast. How can I help you? It, hey, I saw you in this group. I'd love to be able to offer some advice. That creates immense amounts of credibility. And even me, you know, I, I getting off of this podcast with this guy, like I want to keep him in my network. Like, can you be that person? I think so. I think anyone can be that person. And all it takes is just a giver mindset. So Continue to practice things like this where you can connect with people, add value, add value, add value, and age will not make a difference. That's it right now for the Fearless Investor Show. Thank you for plugging in, whether it was on YouTube or the podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share, and we will see you next time.